Yeah. All right. Kelly's ready for a dedication. Kelly, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Giving this quite a bit of thought. Uh, when you mentioned this to me, I have decided to dedicate this episode to Alice Guy Blaché, who was one of the first female filmmakers. Actually, she was one of the first filmmakers, period. Um, she was very involved in photography in uh, France um, at the turn of the century, and she was instrumental in the whole process of creating movie cameras, creating movie film. Um, and she came to America. She helped bring the equipment to America. And she actually lived in New Jersey. And um, she was, like I said, she was actually one of the first female filmmakers. I mean, all the movies she made were like what we would consider shorts. They're very, you know, back in the day, they weren't making, you know, feature films yet. I mean, they were just, it was all a grand experiment. But she made these short films that would you know, show in various venues and she was extremely successful. She was very experimental. She was always trying like different techniques, special effects, like you name it. And she was extremely successful um, until, (laughs) until Thomas Edison ruined it. And then, and then film, the film industry moved to Hollywood. Um, And then she wasn't a part of that. But one of the reasons I want to dedicate the episode to her is because obviously as a woman in the industry and all the uphill battles that we have to deal with like every day, yes. the fact that here was a woman who was instrumental in the creation of filmmaking. She was like the most successful filmmaker of her time. And it's just a great reminder that when there are no barriers, when when we are you know given equal footing, that we can thrive, can be successful. There is no reason why we shouldn't be, you know, as relevant, important, um, uplifted, you know, the way, you know, our male counterparts are. And she's she's proof. And there was actually a really good documentary. Um, shoot, it was like three years ago or something like... Well, want, what's, her wanna, name? what's her name again? Alice Key Blaschet. And she, the I think the name of the documentary was um, "Being Natural," something like that. Don't okay. quote, don't quote me. But, um, but yeah, there was a really good documentary like a few years ago that was on the circuit. It was very worth seeing. Um, and ironically, I think that came out the same year as uh, Gina Davis's documentary "This Changes Everything," which again is also extremely important uh, for understanding women's role in the industry. Um, really groundbreaking work and she's made a real difference in the industry. So, um, that's another person (laughs) that we should be thankful to, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my dedication for this. All right. Let's dedicate to Alice. Guy Blaché. I always mess up her name. That's okay. I have, I have four (laughs) books, his film history books, four of them. Only one mentions them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Only one. Yeah, which is really weird. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I love that. Let's dedicate to Alice. Thank you.
All right, we're back with Kelly. Kelly is also a film producer, been a writer, director. Um, have you done? I don't know. Have you acted in front of the camera? Oh gosh. Well, okay. Actually, yes. Um, I hate to admit this. I am not an actor in any way, shape, or form. But everybody knows he is a producer. Yeah, yeah. but many, many years ago, um, when I was in college, I got there was like a lot of really interesting things that happened while I was um, actually at St. Kate's. Um, getting my degree, oddly, from the theater department, but it was in video theater and film uh, with an emphasis in film studies. Um, Yet, even though it was very academic, I had a lot of real-world experience because during the time that I worked there, not only, or went to school there, not only um, did I work there and um, also was involved with a lot of the um, stage productions, But we had a lot of interesting partnerships that came up with like MCAD. So I got like a lot of hands-on training with film, you know, with with actually through some MCAD professors that um, partnered with our department to teach on campus. And then Good Morning America came to town and they needed interns. And so I interned with them uh, temporarily one summer. And then um, there were a couple of... um, Hollywood movies that came to town and they needed people. So I got to to work on those. And one of them actually shot at St. Thomas. They used St. Thomas as a location. The college. The college, um, University of St. Thomas. And um, so I got to be on that set. And I also got to be an extra in that film. However, <laughs> I did a little I did a little um, cheat to get into the scene and the cinematographer like blurred me out because my I was behind the the lead actress. Oh, so they have to focus. And the... so he so he blurred me out. <laughs> so I am on screen, but I'm a big blur. And I was like, oh my gosh! I'm like, oh, that's all hair too, because it was supposed to take place in the 70s. Right, so yeah. my hair was like totally teased and like super floofy because I have like natural waves if I let it go. Um, and so my hair was much longer and wavy, and and they yeah. really teased it out. And it was super big, well, like, it was a, like it, even yeah. bigger than '80s big. Um, well, in the '70s, a big deal was shampoo and conditioner. Yeah, how, you know, how many commercials yeah. were on about shampoo and conditioning? Right, is because that... people had frizzy hair, and it was like they. The thing was to smoothen it out. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's too funny. So I am in a movie, but you don't see me. I don't. I'm. Pretty sure I'm not on the credits either. Um, but but you, you never really wanted to be in front of the camera. You no, kind of wanted no, to be behind gosh, the camera. no, no. And that was a great education, actually, being on those films and just seeing everything behind the scenes. It set some really great expectations, you know, uh, for what it would be like later. Um, and then also part of that, again, with the interesting partnership that existed at the time uh, for that theater department, um, I also got to go to UCLA for a couple weeks for a special summer program that they had um, for film. And it was a real behind the scenes, like we got to go to like multiple studios and see see projects behind the scenes and in action and talk with directors, producers, actors. And these were all like A-list talent Um, and... uh, got to go to TV shows and be a part of that. And it was just a real crash course on, you know, what the industry is like and how things like operate. So yeah, it was really interesting because um, this was out of the norm 
for what usually happened, you know, for St. Kate's and especially the theater department. I mean, media and, you know, TV film like weren't a huge part of their of their portfolio as far as, you know, academia. Um, and then years later, um, St. Kate's now only has theater as a minor. They don't even have it as a major, major anymore because the two driving forces behind the um, program at the time, you know, they both eventually retired and I don't know, it just didn't quite have the same oomph after that. Okay. And then honestly, there's been a lot of competition because, you know, MCTC has their film program. Minnesota, um, Met- Metro State. No, Metro State is different. Metro State has one now. Okay. But then MCTC became a real force with their film program. Um, Then you've got, um, uh, shoot, uh, is it Northwest? Uh, Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern. They have a film program. Then, Then, you know, eventually then Metro State came on board with their film program. Then now you've got Augsburg uh, with their uh, screenwriting program. Um, so you've had a lot more universities come into the mix locally uh, for film. And, uh, oh, you know, obviously you always had um, Carleton had it because uh, that was actually one of the schools I looked at, at going to. They had a they had a pretty strong film program. Um, so locally there was some competition, but then it got stronger over the years. And that's why St. Kate's. Went, I think yeah. I think so. And theater. And that's such a that's such a. Um, competitive area too um and quite frankly i mean st kate's really focuses on other areas more strongly and so that's where they've kind of put their focus and then they also branched out to do you know graduate studies which they didn't do before so i mean they're as a university their focus has changed over the years too so i get it i get it but but they still have it as a minor uh which is good i mean they still because it was a very it was an exceptional program at the time I went to it. I feel very fortunate that I was there when I was there because I'm telling you, the musicals and dramas that they produced would rival any um, New York production, any. Um, they were just phenomenal. Um, so I, I feel really blessed that, you know, during the time I was there, all these great opportunities came and and I was part of a lot of wonderful experiences. So. And that's what I think college should be, and that's what I tell my boys since they're <laughs> they're now in college. Is like, be open, you know, see what happens, you know, Dude. go with, go with the flow because you never know. I mean, you think you go into college with an idea about what you're going to do, it may change. I did change my major a couple times before I landed where I did. So you know, college can be a really really wonderful experience, but you have to be open. You can't go in with you know, a ton of preconceived notions or be like super rigid. This is it. This is all I can do because, you know, something else may come up. Something else may happen that, you know, turns your light bulb on and then then you got to go that direction, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. I met many people with the show that um, initially Mm -hmm. quite a few like I liked movies and I did movies, but eventually it just wasn't their profound. I that's straight line to movies. Mm -hmm. Somehow they kind of went that direction just being interested and then i'll take a couple classes i'll do this yep. and it's a smaller curl that kernel that just keeps going and going and going and going but right i think a lot of people don't really start out with it i've met a few people that early on yes i'm going to do this and i'm going to do this and i'm going to stick to this but eventually a lot of people just kind of 
find their way navigating through a road of just experiences of just doing things and yeah i like to make a movie and try yeah yeah meandering meandering works um and that's the thing too i mean like i actually you know had this really great experience i got super lucky like right when i got out of college like i had a friend who worked with a local video distributor she made an it just so happened that this local video producer needed an office manager and I you know just coming out of school she recommended me we hit it off I got the job we produced a number of videos it was all like straight to video kind of stuff and when I say video I'm talking cassettes this is how old I am um and so yeah yeah (laughs) kids we straight to video yeah. yeah so um you know these were you know like a variety of like you know different kinds of productions some were um, instructional, some were geared towards business. We even did one for Duplo. Um, the The biggest thing that I worked on uh, while I worked for him was uh, the final interview that Isaac Asimov did. Um, we recorded that. Unfortunately, I didn't actually get to meet him, but at least I was involved with the project. Um, that is actually my first IMDb credit. Um, that the, goes, the final that, interview. That goes w- way back, yeah. Um, Isaac Asimov, Visions of the Future. That's my very first uh, IMDb credit. Um, and so anyway, um, it was a wonderful experience. I actually did it for a couple of years. And then things were rapidly changing in the industry. I mean, this was the early 90s. There was a big shift happening. The money flow wasn't quite the same. And... Um, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do, you know, with my career. And at that particular time, my only real option was to go into corporate video. And I had a lot of connections. I could have done that, but that just didn't feel right for me. Um, And so I chose to go in a different direction. And at first I thought it was graduate school. Okay. And so I thought, well, I'll pivot, you know, by going to graduate school. And so I did that for a little bit and then me and my thesis didn't get along and then <laughs> and during and during that time <laughs> that does happen <laughs> yeah it's still sitting there um and during that time um then i i got introduced to real estate and then i made a really hard turn and then i actually worked in real estate for like over 15 years now that i think helps you yeah because when you do real estate location hunting well look a little bit well because i had done yeah i had done a lot of stuff um when i worked with the the video producer i i really worked on less like like location scouting you're right like um casting um script revision um you know, assistant directing, like I had done, I wore so many hats. It was really a crash course um, behind the scenes um, of doing absolutely everything. Um, I was, so. I mean, technically on most of the productions, I was associate producer. Well, that's, um, that's why I like to start out like, because we all, we all know he is a producer, but yeah, yeah. that is so many things. Yeah, it is so many things. And especially, and it, it's quite funny because being part of a really small company like that like he was able to like have just a few like key employees and really even though technically I was being paid as office manager I mean really I was doing all of these things and on most of the videos that I was involved with my um, title was associate producer for most of them Um, but really I was doing everything I was 
you name it, I oh, did yeah. it. We, um, we, we all know the associate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I work at a, uh, this high school, yeah. we all know that the athletic director is not in charge. The, 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 his assistant that's mm, in front mm-hmm. desk, we know she runs everything. Yeah, exactly. Go that's through. who sends the checks. And, yeah, be nice to her. Yeah, exactly. And I did write the checks, so yeah. <laughs> sometimes people would be nice to me because I wrote the checks, but sometimes, whatever. Many, many times when I was a football referee and I had to contact schools, you don't contact AAD directly. You go through their assistant, yeah. and that's how you get paid, and that's how you get your schedule. Yeah, yeah. Down, so. but, but in pivoting to being a, a, a realtor, yeah. that was really interesting, and I'm still, you know— kind of shocked like how many parallels there were from skills that I used while doing that that you know I use you know while being you know in film because um, especially as a producer I mean yeah not only things like you know being familiar with different spaces and and different aspects of you know that but um you know you're involved in you know negotiations writing contracts legalese you know um Managing people, you know, dealing with, you know, hierarchies and bureaucracies and, um, you know, all that's entailed in dealing with um, large dollar transactions, you know, and that sort of thing. I mean, so like there's a lot of skills like involved there on the business side that really translate really well into into film. And even though it doesn't seem like they're compatible, I mean, really, that's. You know, that's not true. There's actually a lot of business skills that it's very helpful to have as a filmmaker, um, which interestingly enough, this is a conversation I've actually been having with some other filmmakers to figure out ways that we can improve our community and and what can we do um, to help make things better here uh, in the Twin Cities, because I really do feel like and I think I've proven that over the last 10 years that, I mean, you really don't have to go to Hollywood to do what you want to do. I mean, you can stay here. You can be successful while living here. You here don't have to, yeah. here in Minnesota, you don't have to move to Hollywood. I think that's a whole myth that, you know, is perpetuated by the industry to, you know, weed out the wannabes, you know, kind of a thing. Um, but if you're good and people, you've sent them to film festivals, people, yeah. if you're good and really have something, yeah. people will come to you no matter where you are. There's a certain truth to that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, um, there've been several short films that I've gotten out there. And usually the idea is that, you know, you just make a short film as sort of a calling card or an entree, you know, into the into the film world and you get it out there in the festivals just to get a little, you know, recognition and, you know, little accolades and stuff to, you know, verify that you're talented. Um, And then, however, um, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get an agent or a manager or get any work out of it. I mean, it could potentially, um, but like we got lucky with a few shorts that like we, either received distributors seeking us or it was very e- very readily distributed if we got into a conversation with a distributor, which is unusual for short films. Short films, usually they're just Kick around film festival fodder. Yeah. yeah, and not really, you know, go beyond that. Not that there's a lot of money if you get it distributed, but, you know, it just sort of pays for itself, you know, with all the deliverables. But um, 
it's just nice to be able to get it out there and say, oh, it's on Roku Shorts Daily or it's, you know, on Fantasy Network or it's on this platform or that platform because it just, again, it it, it validates your work, um, if, yeah. if nothing else. <laughs> and, you know, as a screenwriter, that is, I think, uh, a bigger boulder to push up the hill than than actually creating film for screenwriting just for, un, for unmade scripts submitting un- yeah. to film because a lot of film festivals if you're not knowledgeable especially if you're listening you're a screenwriter you have an opportunity to write scripts and submit them to film festivals unmade mm-hmm. um, and then you get judged and sometimes you can win contests that way and get recognized that way so yeah yeah you can get recognized that way you can get some accolades occasionally there's a little money involved um, or or there's some uh, retreat or something you get to go to, you know, like an exclusive retreat or, you know, some mentorship or something. I mean, they are all different, you know, as the kind of the things that they offer. But um, you can even go through that route and and do really well, you know, which which I have. Um, and that still doesn't guarantee you're going to get, you know, an agent or manager or uh, anything will be produced Again, there's so many different moving parts. It's a whole conversation by itself. But um, I know. met a met person when I was in LA yeah. through my my sister in law and one of her friends, and it was just it was just associated. And we were just talking with him, and I was like, "But what are you in LA?" And he goes, "I do what everybody else does. I'm a screenwriter, <laughs> and I, I live very comfortably being a screenwriter." I go, "What what movies have have you been made?" He goes, "I've." made 20 scripts for film for film productions and not one of them have been made but they keep it's, they keep it's on the shelf them. somewhere yeah yep. they keep optioning them <laughs> it's really funny you say that because um i have met some really famous a-list uh screenwriters that um it's funny like their early scripts were purchased and never made like various things happened that they were never produced, but then they had other stuff later that was produced, which is how you know <laughs> yeah. they you know made all their money because the the later films were produced. But to this day, they still have this early work that got optioned or bought, and then was going to happen, fell apart. Then somebody else optioned or bought, sat on a shelf, never happened, and yeah. you know that happens to everybody. It doesn't matter how talented you are or how famous you are or what else you've produced I mean that sort of thing like always happens but it tends to be a little bit um harder task to get to that point if you're outside of LA then you don't have an agent inside and I don't have an agent or manager I mean I do have you know obviously over the years I've gone to things like pitch fest I've gotten involved with like stage 32 I've you know, and there's other outlets that you can, you know, uh, pitch or get connected, you know, with people. But, um, you know, there's some things in the works, but nothing has happened yet. But it's all a process and you can do it outside of L.A. Um, but it's but being part of the festival circuit is not a guarantee, whether it's for short film or as a screenwriter. Being part of that is no guarantee that it's going to get you to that next level. Again, this goes back to what I started to say earlier in talking to other local filmmakers about what we can do to, you know, help our local talent 
is we need to come up with better ways of networking. We have to come up with better ways of, um, you know, helping people get to that next level. It's it's a real it's a real problem here that some people always kind of perpetually get stuck on a certain you know plateau. Platform. Yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah. And yeah, we have a, a and I was just at Z Fest award ceremony. Mm-hmm. And we all know each other. Yep. We all communicate. But we, and half of us have worked together. And half of us have worked <laughs> together. But there's some kind of a disconnect because there's, we, you know, when you, especially if you work on sets with people, then you don't really have much of a relationship with them. Yeah. And it's, it's still kind of awkward because I know pretty much everybody in the room, but I really don't know everybody in the room. I, like, I recognize you. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've talked to you before, but I don't really know you. So it's there, there's hard, it's that community that we have to work on. Which is kind of there. I mean, you we can. There's some places that you can go and ask for help or whatever. Yeah. But there's like we need like a net, some kind of network platform that helps everybody to elevate them. Yeah, and, and that's yes, and that's exactly what we're kind of bouncing around, like some ideas, like how you know do we do we get to that next level because. Um, locally, you're right. Like, even though like we may see each other at the film festivals or, you know, celebrations like Z Fest or 48 hour or whatever, um, you know, unless you're in that little, little pod of, you know, working group, which sometimes people kind of get into these little pods, sometimes they cross over. Um, but, but unless you like know people like from that experience, yeah, sometimes there's, you know, not a lot of um, great uh, communicating uh, or, you know, bigger networking. Um, I've also discovered from being involved with um, Catalyst up in Duluth, um, Catalyst Content Festival, who also has a um, adjunct program called Story Road. Um, When I went to their first, um, well, so far they're only in live because they they were virtual last year. but in 2019, when they had their very first um, festival here in Duluth, I went up there and I was amazed at how much talent there is that was coming in from greater Minnesota. And they feel all alone. These people feel like they're just abandoned in the middle of nowhere in these small towns. They have no um, they have no network, no um community groups to connect with. And so as a as a board member for Screenwriters Workshop, we're trying to, and unfortunately it got thwarted by COVID, but we're trying to set up like a adjunct group in oh, Duluth. Nice. Up into, yeah. yeah, so that we can have a bigger networking outreach and get to those people who are in greater Minnesota that feel like they're all alone, they have nobody to connect with, and at least have that Duluth connection because obviously they're willing to go to Duluth they went to this festival that's where I met them so obviously you know if we could have that as sort of the home base and then reach out you know to that to that area then you know give people a lifeline you know so they don't feel like they're all alone and then they maybe is really starting to be yeah uh, center I think if anybody here want to make a full feature movie and I've already known a couple of them have already been made up there already yeah that there's there's some wonderful financial benefits of making it up there and they have a wonderful pool of selections yeah the st louis county uh tax rebate that's already in effect that is huge um there's a lot of talent up in duluth um i'm working with people up in duluth um 
it's on my roster of projects. <laughs> um, it's not that too far away. It's only three. It's, it's a three hour. And I love Duluth. I don't mind having to to schlep up there. It's beautiful. So I don't mind going up there at all. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, there is a lot happening. There are a lot of opportunities for us to expand, you know, and then so better networking locally, statewide. And then from there, we need to better connect um, nationally because every time I'm like involved in so many groups right now. No, really with COVID I got involved in everything I possibly could. I left because every time I mentioned a group and I was like, is Kelly in it? Yes. Yes. How many produce is Kelly? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I've been busy. I've been busy. Um, and, uh, yeah, actually going back to my, to my original dedication, um, that's what got me on the path to being so involved with um, short films is that being part of my writers group, being part of these, you know, screenwriters workshop and all these different, you know, things and, and knowing so many fabulous female screenwriters and nobody getting to that next level, nobody getting anything done. And then, you know, producing this other, you know, producing documentaries and other stuff. And I was finally like, why aren't we, why are we making movies? This doesn't make any sense. And so finally, I just started kicking some friends in the pants. And I'm like, come on, what what short film you you need to make that's like super limited location, limited, um, you know, cast that we can make on a shoestring? What do you what have you got? You know, what have you got? And and that's what started with um, my friend uh, Patricia Fox with her script, 100,000 Miles a Second, um, because it literally happens in one little location mm-hmm. at a co-op in the parking lot can't get any simpler than that you know (laughs) so we made that film and oh my gosh it's been amazing like that film literally has been like all over the world it's been in like 40 film festivals it even got distribution on um roku shorts daily and just out of nowhere we got invited to this um you know big international film festival and it just it's one of these movies that just resonates with people across culture, across place and time. It's just pretty amazing um, how what an impact a little film can have, really. And that was that was the start. That was the beginning. So since then, I've now produced over a dozen um, short films. And um, actually, it's probably more than that. And then I just, Patricia and I ju- actually just shot another short film um, uh, about a week and a half ago. We're actually going into post-production now okay. uh, on that. Um, and it's called Thirst. And again, it's another story she wrote. Um, this time she directed it, though. Um, last time she did not. She, ju- she wrote it, but we had somebody else direct it. Um, this time she directed it. And... Um, Again, based on a true story of hers, um, that's sort of her specialty. Is uh, her her script, some of her scripts, and then a play she wrote called "My Four Bodies," which did really well at Fringe Festival. Um, those were all based on on her life, and those are the ones that have been doing really well and getting traction, okay. which is interesting. Um, out of all of her work, that that's really what's you know gained momentum. But, um, yeah, and then the rest of them have all, like, been so varied in tone and type and genre. Um, 
it's it's been really interesting like what's like what's been being made what's happening what people are interested in or focused on um but ironically all the films that i've done all the short films that i've done yes yeah have all gotten into festivals which is fabulous because i know that doesn't happen for all filmmakers um all of them have gotten into festivals most of them have um toured around the country some internationally ironically a recent film it did super great in europe and canada and we only got it into one american film film festival i don't know why it's one of those weird things but it's one of those right if some things and i always say like especially if your film doesn't really receive well in some areas yeah well try it in different markets yeah yeah just somebody will like your movie somewhere you hope you hope hope you didn't just make it just for yourself but yeah it's it's really funny um it's a beautiful film and it's actually i think one one of my best it's called you are here and we've we've gotten so much attention for it internationally no we just finished it last year okay we literally got done filming it before the lockdown which was perfect timing because then we went into post-production and then we started you know getting it into festivals and um Oddly, it um, it premiered in India, which I have very strong ties with India. So it was very interesting that it premiered in India, of all places. And then um, it's been all over Europe, all over Canada, um, played uh, at a festival, uh, Golden State Film Festival, which I've had multiple films in like for the past like four years, um, just one after the other. Um, they like my stuff. Um, and, and, um, <laughs> that helps. Yeah, that does help. Um, and so, yeah, it's just really interesting to see like how things play. Like some things will play really great in Minnesota. Some things will play really great regionally. Some will go all across the country and then some will go internationally or some like this one plays better internationally, not as much here. It's just really interesting to see how things hit. And, you know, I'm just grateful that all of them have ended up in in festivals because I know for some people that doesn't always happen. And that can be really, really frustrating as a filmmaker to, you know, to feel that you can't find your audience. Um that's very, very frustrating. And I, I hope that everything that I do, um, you know, connects with somebody, somebody, uh, somebody yeah. somewhere. I always uh, said that with kids, <laughs> somebody out there will like it. Somebody has to, somebody always will like something of your film. Yeah. Something, somebody will always won't like it, but somebody will yeah. always <laughs> like it. No matter what it is, somebody will always like it. There's, I, there's 7 billion people in the world. Somebody. Yeah. That's what you hope. Now, the irony of the whole thing is like the majority of the films that I've done have been, you know, because people have wanted to produce something, you know, get it out there in the world. Um, start their directing careers, you know, or yeah. as, as a screenwriter, finally just get something produced so they can have a screenwriting credit on IMDb. Um, but ironically, the two films that I did for contests, for competitions, one for 48 Hour, one for Z Fest, in both cases, we had technical things that came up that we ended up getting disqualified. Oh, <laughs> so well, the Z Fest is very particular on the yeah, requirements. Well, yeah. Yeah, but certain deadlines and certain this and that. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. In, in in the case of Forty Eight Hour, we had um, 
a a wardrobe malfunction that was not caught originally, um, and then we caught it after the, it after the fact, and we're like, oh no 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 no, we cannot let that be seen publicly. That would be way too embarrassing for that person. We're going to fix this and then give it back to you. And they said that's fine. You can fix it, give it back to us. It'll be part of the you know the showcase, but it's out of the competition. And we're like, that's fine. You know, we're not going to embarrass anybody. Um, and then the other thing. Uh, I think what ended up happening for Z-Fest was when the editor converted it to the very particular format that they like for Z-Fest, I think something happened. They picked like the wrong version or something. And so we submitted it, but it was technically in the wrong version. So then they had to send it back to us. We had to reconvert it and give it back. I mean, it was really technical (laughs) down to the hair. Um, So it's just so ironic that every other one of my shorts has won some sort of an award, except for the two that I actually created for a competition, they didn't get nothing. Yeah, they didn't get nothing. <laughs> so that's the great irony. So then I was like, well, maybe I just don't need to make them for competitions. competitions right, I just yeah. need to just make them, just make them. you know, just yeah. make them and yeah. get them out there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just keep making short films. And actually, so we just did this one. I'm supposed to be part of another production uh, at the end of the summer, um, and uh, we'll see if that see if that gets off the ground. But I'm I've got m- my hands in very many pots right now, and I've got a lot of things <laughs> got a lot of things in the works. <laughs> right? Yes, you do. All right, we're going to take a little break, and uh, we'll be back more with Kelly. Hi, this is Nick from the St. Paul Filmcast, and I want to let you know about a fundraising campaign for a film I'm really looking forward to. Written by previous guests and good friend of the show, Matt Bailey, the film is called Lineage. It's a modern-day story of two sisters. It's a psychological thriller, mystery, character-driven drama with a backstory of Norse mythology. And you know me, I love Norse mythology. Um, check out their contributions and their tiers. Uh, tiers go low as $15. If you like stories of psychological thrillers, if you like Norse mythology, Mythology. Um, you would definitely like this film, Lineage. Check out the links down below, and your contribution would be greatly appreciated. The film is called Lineage. Time is running out. Check out the links today. Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. All right, we're back with Kelly. So you're on the screenwriter's board for writing? Screenwriter's Workshop. Screenwriter's Workshop. Yeah. What is that? So Screenwriter's Workshop, um, we have a variety of writing groups. Um, We also do little, um, you know, mini tutorials, um, like once a month, um, teaching different, you know, techniques, uh, playing with different 
concepts, you know, in, in writing. Um, the idea is to help writers get, you know, some basic skills writing, then take those skills, create an actual, you know, feature length, um, screenplay, you know, workshop that at a writing group. Once you're done with that through the writing group, you've polished it a little bit, then you'll submit it to our um, second Sunday table read. Oh. Then you'll do a table read on your script, and from that you'll hear it, which is extremely helpful. And then you'll also get feedback from the participants of the table read. And then you'll go and you'll tweak it again. And then, you know, maybe you'll, you know, submit it to, you know, manager, agent, you know, competition, whatever, whatever your goal for the script is, or, or just go make it. We've had some, you know, members actually make their film. Um, I think the most recent, feature that got made was um frank's uh special ed uh frank's feature special ed um and uh i think that was the last one that we've had from the group um okay but but many of us have done short films um some have done feature films um uh another one that was one of our members that's actually trending on <laughs> trending on Amazon right now. Uh, it was originally called Black, and then it got changed to Black in Minneapolis. Um, that one, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, an uh, incident of police brutality that is trending on Amazon and has been. Is that David? Yes. David Buchanan's? Yes. Okay. And that's been, over the last year, that's been been uh, trending. Yeah. And he's, he's very prolific. He's a very prolific writer. Um, and he's been part of the Screenwriters Workshop for many years. Um, but um, yeah, so my, so my friend Karen Frank, um, who's also um, part of Screenwriters Workshop, she runs the second Sunday group and she also runs some of the um, teaching workshops. Um, we produced her short film, You Are Here. We literally just got done filming it before the lockdown and then during the lockdown went into post-production and got it out into the world. Um, at various film festivals. Um, so our idea is that, you know, we help people hone their skills, then help them polish their scripts, get it out there in the world. The whole idea is like keep it going through the different levels to reach your goals. Yeah. Whether it's yeah. create a short, create a feature, start a career, like whatever it is, like we help people like get to those, you know, building blocks of, of doing that. And the interesting thing is I do have to say, you know, table reads until I joined screenwriters workshop, I did not appreciate the power of a table read. And then I have had a couple of scripts go through table reads and what a huge difference that makes. I am um, right. The first time I ever wrote a screenplay screenwrite just mm -hmm. for film, a short film. And then they're like, let's have a table read. Let's just read it. I was like, why? It's like, let's just read it out loud. Yeah. And then we wrote it out loud. I was like, oh, my God. I need to go back. Yeah. You hear what works, what doesn't yeah. work, what's clunky, uh, what's what's an odd description uh, or something that doesn't make sense. Well, if it's read out loud. Yeah. I mean, everybody writes dialogue. But if you see somebody write, spitting out the dialogue, you're like, mm, that's a little too wordy. Yeah, yeah. yeah or or it doesn't feel organic to that character. I mean, just yeah. so many things. It's just, it's, again, it's 
intellectual to see it on the page, but then visceral to actually hear it, experience it. Especially somebody totally else. Different, especially hearing somebody else. Not in your, yes. in your, not in your head. Yes. Yeah, we all get stuck with the how it sounds in your head. Yeah. But somebody else. Do oh, it's it. perfect in your brain. <laughs> if we could just, I, I, this is what this was Alfred Hitchcock's whole dilemma during his life. It's like he just wanted to figure out how to take the image from his brain and put it on screen. And if if he were still alive today, with all the advent that we have uh, with VR uh, technology oh, he would totally do and green screen. and yeah. um. And with, um, you know, CGI, you know, and, and creating people out of, you know, CGI and, and the advance of uh, animation, he wouldn't be doing anything live. He would, I mean, he was such a control freak anyway. Like he would just want to do everything as manipu- uh, mechanically manipulated as possible because he, di- he didn't really want to work with people. Like even though that's why he always worked with the same people over and over again because he didn't even really want to work with people, so right. he had to have the right people. No, we talk about in the industry. You're, yeah. f- you're farming. You're setting a core where people like you understand. You can communicate. Yeah, yeah. No, he just wanted to work with the same people yeah. that. Or if he had an idea, right? If mm-hmm. oh, if you want an everyday man, you just call Jimmy Stewart. If you wanted right, a right. if a very sweet suave person, you just call Cary Grant, and that was it, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was pretty funny, but um. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's a really great somebody else saying your lines. Yeah, somebody else saying your lines, hearing it out loud, the pacing, the flow. Again, those are things you can't intellectually you can't really right. I I think of pacing and flow. It's when it actually gets out there. Same thing when you're when you're actually editing what you've shot. Um, Pacing and flow. That's a thing that doesn't always happen naturally you you know you have to manipulate it through you know the editing and sometimes it may not be like what you thought it was going to be when you shot it so you have to be flexible and open to make the best film possible you you cannot be rigid in well this is the way it was written that's the way it's got to be yeah sometimes not like no no i i'm a little bit loose with the interpretation if somebody has adds a line let's see how that works or they have a little different tone or beat yeah. to it yeah yeah one of the most radical um examples i i heard was during the um the premiere of the film blood stripe which is minnesota film uh that was premiered at tcff uh several years ago and um they actually completely reordered the film like they shot it you know the way they wanted it they they added it in order of the way it was on the page and then after when it, you know, it was out there and they were watching it, they're like, this just doesn't feel right. And then they realized they needed they needed to take act three and make that act two and make act two, act three. And then it totally changed the flow and it worked. And so sometimes radical things like that can happen. Maybe I should have done that with mine. Actually, since, <laughs> since mine was in a loop, maybe I should have done the third ending to the beginning. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just Editing gotta, is wonderful. You know, yeah, and sometimes you just got to get out of your own way. And what is the film telling me to do? What is the film? What's not working with the film? You know, and, and, and what does it need to be to be the best story, you know, yeah. I can make because... I don't have to have that experience got. just writing. What is the character telling me that yeah. I didn't know I had to write? Maybe the, this is the character telling me I have to do it this way. It's, and that's it, kind of fun. It's funny you say yeah. that because my very first script that I wrote um, about a decade ago, I had thought about it for like eight years. Like I'd had the story in my brain. 
thought about it for it's like, like a weed that just stays. Yeah, in there, right? it is. Yeah. It is. And so finally, you know, when it, when my career pivoted, you know, the real estate market fell apart and then I'm, you know, like spinning my wheels, wasting time, not making any money. I'm like, well, if I'm going to waste my time, not making any money, go back to film. <laughs> At least that I'm enjoying myself, you know, <laughs> I'm doing what I love. So why not? And so anyway, um, so then I got into a, um, a screenwriting class with um, David Lawrence Grant and um, finally got this idea out of my head, onto the paper. And it was so interesting because this whole time that I had the film in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be this cheesy, lifetime movie, scary woman kind of you know story. Yeah. And I got it on the page and it was like this really dark drama, much more nuanced than I thought it was going to be. And um, I got it to this to this competition and the feedback that I got on it was um, they compared the story to something by, you know, John Cassavetes or um, uh, Nick Kazan's uh, Dream Lover. And I was like, of course, of course it is. Because for all those years, you know, in film school, I consumed like probably hundreds of hours of European film. And I used to go to the Youth Film Society at um, the Bell Auditorium and uptown theater like every week to see the latest you know foreign film and I was like yeah of course it's got that sensibility you know and um ironically over the years you know even as I've you know like edited it since then and and uh, improved it like the accolades that I've gotten the biggest accolades that I've gotten have actually been in Europe like that's where that film has gotten all the love you know because here it's a it kind of misses the radar a little bit well here it's a harder pill to swallow because it's about toxic femininity and it's about uh, an unlikable woman and unlikable women don't get much love in the market here so so in in europe they're fine with it and they're Mm -hmm. like okay yeah bring it you know it's good um but here's a little bit harder pill to swallow but um it's just so interesting because it's like, yeah, of course, of course I would write a film that had that sort of tone and sensibility and feel to it because that's what I've consumed for decades. Um, and you just can't help it. It's like, and you can't, you can't force it. Like, that's just like what right. comes out. Um, and I do have another, something similar to share yeah. is there's a 80s slasher horror movie called The Initiation uh-huh. with Daphne Zonega. Mm-hmm. It's an 80s slasher horror but it's written by Charles Pratt Jr. It's very melodramatic, yeah. even though it's just, and somebody caught that, yeah. hired him to be a soap opera TV writer. Oh, hilarious. And he's been a soap opera TV writer, prolific, award winning awards because he knew funny. how to, and even though that's a slasher, slasher horror, film. Yeah, funny. People caught like, that's what I wanted my soap opera. And they hired him and he's been writing for soap operas. He was doing Days of Lives, whatever, for many, 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 many years and winning, awesome. winning Emmys. But it's just right, because you think, I'm going to write this and it's a yeah. something, but maybe the, your talents are somewhere you didn't think it were. Before. They saw, they saw that, that shimmer, you know, that they needed, you know, right, yeah. um, it's probably something with the relationships because I mean, soap operas are all about relationships. So it had to be right. something with the relationships. And, uh, also Daphne is a Minnesota girl. Um, Daphne is an A guy, right? Yes, yeah. She is a Minnesota girl. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it's like you just, yeah, you can't force it. You just got to let it be and and let it let it emanate, you know, organically. Um, and that's the thing, yeah. Like with writing, like there's so many different theories on, 
you know, what do you do to write? Do you, you know, do you outline? Do you, you know, bullet point? Do you, you know, write a treatment first? Or do you just, you know, start I, with a blank page? I mean, and it's for every person, it's different. I always say just start out, just do it. Yeah. Don't really try to make fine art to begin with. Just pour out something. If you just want to do freehand, just get it out first and then kind of work the mechanics. Or maybe you want to do whatever works for you. If you want to do yeah. a outline. I've talked about a lot of writers. Maybe you want to do an outline first. Or yeah. maybe you want to do that kind of way. Maybe you have a bunch of index cards that you... Yeah, some people do the index cards. I, I, I've or never... email yourself or whatever. It's funny because, yeah, index cards was a big thing for a while. I could never really get into that. Um, that did not really work for me. Um, it only worked for me because when I was at work doing min- oh, minute sure. tasks, and I was like, oh, yeah. That you I just pulled. have a minute here and a minute there. Yeah. Um, but then you're writing like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've gone both ways. Um, Sometimes, I mean, I, I have so many ideas. I'm, I'm not even joking. Um, I literally have over 400 ideas. And it, it's everything from... Um, Features to shorts to um, TV series to web series, you know, to documentaries. I mean, like I like I'm constantly like writing down like ideas. I have to like stop having ideas because it's like which one is the most important one? Which one do I have to do now? That's you know yeah. that's the problem. Um, and granted, I have you know written actually quite a few of them, but but. Um, yeah, it's crazy uh, that you can just keep coming up with ideas. So sometimes I do have to just write an outline or just write, you know, like a little a little blurb just to get it out of my head so I don't forget, oh, that's what that, you know, log line is. Oh, it's this, you know, right. just to get it out of my head and say, okay, well, at least I've got it there. It's saved. I can come back to that later because really I need to be doing this, you know. And um, I get it kind of funny with my wife because I yeah. like I'm writing a new script. She goes, "Well, you're not writing it. No, I'm writing it up here. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm already on page four up here. Yes, <laughs> actually, I learned. Actually, I learned that. Up in my brain. Again, I learned that from David Lawrence Grant. Is like he he introduced the saying, "Thinking is writing," and I love that because I do spend a lot of you know as a writer, I do spend a lot of time thinking about stories before I ever like put it on the page. Like that one that I was telling you, the very first one um, I wrote, you know, I thought about it for eight years before I wrote it. So I did, so it, it did come out like pretty quickly because like I'd been ruminating on it, does it start for with like, like so a, long. Does it start with like one scene? Usually that happens to me. That's like one scene and then it kind um, of, or, or just like a, a, maybe like an idea of a story. It kind of, that one, because it was, Based on some stuff from real life, all kind of mushed together, um, it was it was a, a basic story in my head with elements of it all strung together. Okay. And then once I learned more about you know the story structure, yeah. Then as I started writing it, oh yeah, we need to have this scene and then that scene and then this scene and that scene, blah blah blah. blah. You know, um, then it was it was pretty self-explanatory when I started writing it. I did not have an outline or anything for that one. I just wrote because I just had to do a brain dump. Again, because it had been in my head for so long, I just needed to do a brain dump. Get that I like sh- that word. I uh, like get that. that. Get that crappy. I almost caught, said something else. Get that crappy first draft out and then, you know, yeah. polish it, you know, and, and fix it. And, um, yeah. Uh, and then some of the other ones uh, that I've written, um, I... I the fastest one I wrote, 
it was kind of inspired from some things that were happening in, in real life. And I wrote a rom-com in like a week. I think I wrote the first draft. A full feature rom-com. Full feature rom-com in like a week. I Fantastic. Just, That's I just funny. kind of like, I was just so, I don't know what it was. I was just so fixated on the idea that I just, well, and it was a really sad time, and I think I just needed to have something more positive to focus on. My grandmother was dying of cancer at that particular time. So I think my brain just said, "I we need to escape. We need to go somewhere else, and it went to this rom-com. And um, <laughs> so I, I snuck, literally every minute that I could, I snuck away and and wrote, because with small kids, that was a real feat. I don't even know how I did it. Um, I, I think I stayed up nights, like not sleeping, and just... Do it. Just yeah. wrote. Yeah, just wrote. And um, then after that, obviously, like I had to polish it and, and get some feedback and stuff like that and rewrite. But um, that's actually getting some love right now. I just got an award from Die Laughing Film Festival for that. Um, and it was, uh, they gave me the green light award. And I'm like, yes, please, please right, tell yeah. some agents that and managers that. It, need, it needs to be green lit. This is kind of Can a no-brainer. Can you please just green light this and get me a check? Thank Did you. Did you get a title for it? What's the title? Can oh, you share? the title of it is called Slumming It. And it's kind of a Hollywood, you know, behind the scenes, you know, rom-com. And I, it's really funny because since I'm an outsider, you know, for Hollywood, I get differing. I've had like some, I've had some, you know, like Hollywood people like read it. And on, on the one hand, I'll get some people, they love it. And then I'll get some people, on the other hand, they chastise me for writing about something about Hollywood because I'm outside of Hollywood. So yeah. what do uh, I know? Well, yeah, it's almost like if you're... It's a love story. What don't I know? You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I have to I have to kind of confess I should watch a little more rom-coms. <laughs> I think it would help with me going, because I don't write love very well. Yeah. I know that's my weakness. Yeah. So I, I think if I watch those a little bit, I think my Kelly, my friend Kelly Reynolds that does a podcast yeah, yeah. who critiques erotic books. Oh, funny. So maybe you should start reading those to uh -huh. get kind of familiar about how you can craft love things. Because every movie has some kind of an element of love in it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So even Star Part of Wars. Life. Even Star Wars has you, a love Oh, love especially story. Star Wars. Yeah, Please. Love story Please. It. That was my, actually, after the original Star Wars, okay, to date myself, um, as a little girl, that was like my first big emotional existential moment because I couldn't decide who did I love more, Luke Skywalker or Han Solo? Who was it? You know, that was my... Big existential crisis that summer after after watching Sorry. Star Wars. So anyway, thank you, George Lucas. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody talks about it. it's a big spectacle, you know, but you have to craft it. There's some kind yeah. of... Like, yeah, because I totally yeah. identified with, um, with Princess Leah. So it's like, who is it? Which one is it? <laughs> so when you're writing, do you have a title in mind or do you kind mm. of start with the title or does that come later? Uh, actually, ironically, I usually do have a title. Yeah, because there's just something about like having a title that encapsulates, you know, the essence of your story. Right. You know? yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I almost always I have a title. Actually, funny thing is. 
on my list of um, story ideas, I actually sometimes just write down titles. I'm like, oh, that would be a cool title. Oh, how about that for a title? Sometimes I just write down titles even if I don't have a story, but I'm just thinking, oh, that sounds, that's a cool phrase or that's a cool yeah. word or something, you know, so I'll just write it down just in case. When I was in a band, later. we used to do that, titles oh, for yeah? songs. And oh, then that's maybe cool we'll idea. figure out something for like an avenue of that or just write a title for a song that we've never really, you know, have for yeah but i think titles yeah. are important and they get neglected i know it's again sometimes you want to go gimmicky attention yeah. grabbers you know but yeah i always always have a title in mind before i start writing yeah um, and obviously when you get down the road and this has happened to people too that you know you you started with the title maybe you even filmed and had it on the festival circuit as one title and then you get it to a distributor and they have another idea about what it should be titled, you know, to market it, um, and that happens. And so you kind of, yeah, you kind of have to be a little flexible. My actually, my very first script, I had one title, and then later when I, you know, kept modifying it, I switched it, and it was just because the one of the one of the big mistakes I made in the early drafts of that particular story um, was the main character was too passive and so was the title and so then when i when i realized i needed to make the strong character like the force behind everything like it all centered around her it was all about her so she had to be the force and it had to be totally from her perspective and so then i changed the title to her name um which is marlis and so that shifted everything because it's like that encapsulates what the that is what Focus. the story is about because it's completely her perspective completely from her you know her crazy um force on the world with her toxic femininity like it, it had to be her name yeah. and before it was like again more the perspective and the title were all too passive and so it does have an effect and it had an effect on me in the terms of how i wrote it yeah. i thought my title was so clever but in which is true it was but it wasn't what the story needed. It didn't tell the story the best way. I do have another different avenue with that. Yeah. Orson Welles talked about one of a, a play that he liked was yeah. uh, I think it was The Adventures of Mr. Wu, mm -hmm. and all the cast and characters all in a, all, all all they want to talk about is Mr. Wu. What will Mr. Wu do? And all, <laughs> and, and, you know, the whole story is like, well, don't let Mr. Wu find out and everything. Yeah. And then right at the end of Act Two, over a bridge with back you know backlit, and you don't really see him. It comes out. And they all go, oh, and now it's Mr. Wu. And then the, the curtain draws and everything. And the audience is like, did you see that guy who played Mr. Wu? Isn't he fantastic? After they have all this dialogue <laughs> and exposition from all these actors doing yeah, yeah, all yeah. of it. But the other guy just stands there and goes, oh, did you? everyone's like, did you see Mr. Wu? <laughs> That's funny. No, I've never heard of that one. That's funny. Right. He, he loved it. He called it the actor's role. Everybody talks about you even though you're not on set. And then you, all yeah, you have to yeah. do is stand there and then. You have this personality already, yeah. Right. And everybody else, everybody else is doing all the heavy lifting. Right. As an actor, that's probably pretty good. <laughs> the other one I like to share is uh, when Christopher Guest and Michael McKean, all of them, are crafting the, the the script for Best in Show. Yes, and they worked on it for many years, trying the beats and the yeah. dialogues, and trying to make it look yeah, how documentary. Comedy's hard, yeah. And the, and yeah, trying to get all the comedy and matching the dogs to characters and all that stuff. And then they yeah. just hired Fred Willard to just be a commentator for one couple days of shooting, 
and he was the funniest thing. <laughs> like yes. anything they he wo- took over the whole thing. Yeah, because <laughs> that's we, what most people remember. Right, and Christopher Guest, we were so bad at him because he was so funny, and we worked years to get you know, to get this where we could ab lib and everything, and he just comes in and just <laughs> takes over. <laughs> takes over. Yeah, and there's, you have there's, to appreciate. You know, and that's the interesting thing with uh, film. There's lots of happy accidents, um, and I've been really lucky that there's been lots of happy accidents for a lot of these projects because that's what that's what makes it. That's yeah. what makes the films. That's what makes them memorable. That's what takes them to another to another level. I mean, it's not all in the, not all in the script. It's not all in script at yeah. all. I mean, and and that's the thing that you have to remember like in making films is that, yeah, it's not all on the script. I mean, I've read scripts that, you know, like on paper should have been like really great. And then you see the film and you go, "Eh, that just sort of fell flat. You know, it happens. It happens. You know, Um, it's, it's a, it's a moving art form. It literally is. I mean, in, in, in trying to make a film and then to get it to the point to make it and then actually making it, and getting it out in the world. I mean, it literally all is a series of the sun and the moon and the stars, like lining up, um, because there's so, it's there's so many moving parts. There's so many things happening um, that it's not a hundred percent controllable. Some of it is luck and things working out the right way. Timing and luck in the yeah. industry is a big thing. Timing yeah. and a little bit of luck, but you kind of have to put yourself in the position to get kind of a luck, right? Well, yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's preparation and... Kelly's not going to knock on your door and say, give me a script to produce. You kind of... <laughs> no, I have, I have enough of my own anyway. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is um, you know, preparation. What's the same preparation and... Um, uh, practice plus timing equals luck, something like that. There's a um, formula to it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so luck just doesn't completely just happen on its own. I mean, you have to be ready for that opportunity yes. when it appears. Um, and that's the thing with film, which I find so frustrating, is that um, not a lot of people get a lot of practice before they're sort of thrown into the mix. And... Um, that's one of the reasons why there's so many gatekeepers, you know, like in Hollywood, because if, even if you go to film school, I, I was actually just talking to a, a couple guys uh, about a potential project and we were talking about our backgrounds and um, they went to Columbia, uh, Columbia University in New York. And they said, yeah, you know, honestly, when we went to film school, um, the only thing we produced was a short film. And then they just sort of throw you out there. They don't don't really tell you like how to navigate film festivals or whatever. You kind of have to learn it on your own. But all they ever got to do was a short film. After going to like this prestigious like university and spending all this money, like they talked a lot about film. You know, they watched a lot of films. Yeah. You know, but they didn't do a lot of film. And so you know, it was kind of like this whole thing about. Yeah, it's it's great on paper, but you know what what does it really do for you to to prepare you for getting out there in the world to have a career in film? And that's the real dilemma. And actually, that's why I think I mentioned to you earlier that there's like a little backlash against uh, film school right now because a lot of people because they've grown up with iPhones and instant technology and all these resources that are at their fingertips that they don't feel like it's such a big thing to have to learn. Now, granted, I would, 
you know, disagree that there's still, you still have to know story. You still have to know composition, you know, for, you know, creating the images. Right. You, you have to learn editing, like all these kind of Even things. Even when two people are talking, how are you going to frame that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's still, you know, and I think film studies is important and I think film history is important. So, I mean, I think there is more to it than just going and shooting stuff because again, anybody can shoot stuff, but does that make it, you know, artwork? Let's talk to Sundance and their 15,000 submissions where they, you know, get every year for short films. I mean, they literally throw out like half of them because they're just garbage. You know, they're like, they're not genuine films they're just an audition tape or a wedding you know photo and it's people think oh this is the greatest love story ever told so look at our wedding tape it's like that doesn't make a film that's not a film um and so it's like yeah there's more to it than just you know than just shooting stuff um so it's interesting that there's that 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 situation going on because you do but at the same time you do learn from doing um I, I agree. I critiqued, watched movies, lived, studied yeah. for many, many years, um, critiqued them, worked at a video store, went to film school, yeah. um, went to film, study film class, art and film and everything. Yeah. And that still doesn't prepare you for making your own movie. Yeah. And the thing is, like, even when I made, like, the first short film, you know, four years ago, um, first narrative short film, um, prior to that, I'd made, you know documentaries and you know other you know uh videos like prior to that so it wasn't like so I didn't come into it cold you know there was this whole like body of experience that you know I had to bring to the table and even since then you know with the whatever I'm up to now 12 13 whatever it is you know with all the films that I've done you still learn more stuff like every time right yeah. and and no you know, no film shoot is ever going to be 100% perfect. There's always going to be unexpected things. Um, we'll just fix it in editing. <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes that is the case. We'll just um, fix it in editing. <laughs> uh, but I heard that phrase so many times. <laughs> which, yeah. that's doable, but you better have the dollars for it because it always costs. Um, nothing's free. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, like the last shoot we had, like we had an issue with the wind um, pulling our, you know, pulling our prop poster off this you oh know, my God, I was on, window. I was, and I was like, a, why is it right now you have to do this? <laughs> you know? I was on a shoot and we we're filming at a golf course uh-huh. and we had it all to ourselves. We timed it perfectly so nobody would be there. We had the perfect mm-hmm. day, perfect time, te- perfect temperature, everything was set. And then somebody had to fly a plane <gasps> and they're so interested in it because there was a film set on the golf. So they're constantly circling, watching us. And oh, we're like, no. go away. <laughs> we can oh, hear no. you on the... <laughs> that, you know, and that is true. Like real life, real life will interrupt and then real life will also create like happy accidents. Like um, there have been plenty of times like where you're filming and yes, an airplane goes by. So you have to like wait for the but airplane to fly by. Go away, um, go away. Or, or there's some, you know, like, traffic noise like down the street and all of a sudden you like you gotta you know like wait or whatever until that goes over but actually again on this last shoot we had a cop car that was part of the scene and the cop car that 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 we rented um we didn't realize he didn't actually have a um a siren and so we're filming like this um close-up um of of the cop car and wouldn't you know it 
a genuine cop car goes by with the sirens on at the time we're filming on that cop car. So you got the audio. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How did that just happen? And you got the audio? We got the audio. And isn't that ridiculous? And another thing that happened was there was this scene, same same, uh, day, there was a scene where this kid is supposed to skateboard into these into these water bottles and get knocked off of his skateboard and then he's pissed off and he throws a water bottle into the middle of the street and I was actually going to drive my car and uh, drive over the water bottle and and the director said no no we don't have time for that we'll just you know just him throwing it in the street will be good enough and because we were you know kind of coming into a little bit of a time crunch for this um this uh, scene uh, and moving on and wouldn't you know it he did it and a car actually went by and drove over it like for real and I'm like you know what sometimes these happy accidents just happen and you get lucky and it just it's exactly what you wanted or what you needed and you just go with it you just keep going with it <laughs> we're kind of running out of time here but I would yeah. like to say my, my, my favorite happy little accident is uh, the Coen Brothers doing uh, Blood Simple yes and, love that movie and this, they, ha- they got everybody they wanted the cinematographer but they got a person that never did gaffing before ever uh-huh. and the gaffing is not really the fantastic if you watch the movie the gaffing is really you sh- it's not really doesn't it's, it's really subpar okay but for the movie, it works. Yeah, yeah. Because they do a shot where... The movie's where dark. It's dark. Yeah. And if you had a really talented gaffer, it would take away from how distorted it is because they would, yeah. you know, when Emmett, M. Emmett Walsh is having a scene in the car, he's talking, he's very naturally, very horrible. They focus on the teeth, not his face. Yeah, yeah. And it emphasizes what they're going for. But a, a real good gaffer will like, no, we didn't emulate his face and everything. But the only deal is concentrate kind of on his teeth and mouth, where his, yeah. all the rest of his face is blocked out. It works. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, one of those happy little things, like because yeah. it makes him like sinister, yeah, and ugly. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a great film. And the whole movie, it's like even the Cobra is like it, it, it works because he didn't know what he's learning as he's going, and he got better at the end. Yeah, yeah. It goes, but that's what makes it. it's a touch a dark movie. Yeah. Yes, it's emotionally dark. Yeah, emotionally dark. Yeah. Well, Kelly, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is wonderful. We have to come back and talk more about. I love talking about writing. Yeah, which is kind of my fault because a lot of it, I tell people stop talking about it and go do it. <laughs> well, it's really funny yeah. that you say that because weirdly enough, it's only been like in the last uh, like couple months that as a writer that I've been asked to do uh, interviews. Um, which is really funny for a film festival, a comedy film festival. I was asked to be part of a writer's panel discussion. And then um, you asked me to be a part of this. Um, and so, yeah, usually I'm, you know, involved in Q&As and stuff as a producer that happens, you okay. know, fairly frequently. Yeah. But but yeah, as a writer, I haven't it's been interesting. It's like, hey, yeah, we're over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you wouldn't have a story without us. Hello. <laughs> so, yes, we need more attention. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, Kelly. It's wonderful. We definitely have to come back and talk. Um, Kelly, as you know, it's not over till the guests say it's over. It's over. There we go. <laughs>